Ladies and gentlemen, the Brit Pack is back. Simon Head from Rochester in the UK, Chamakar Sandu from Toronto in Canada, and it's all beginning to pick up now. The biz business is picking up in the UFC. We've had a great start to the year. Fight cards are happening, but things are beginning to ramp up, Sandu. We're going to get fans back at events very soon. The UFC lightweight belt is going to be back in circulation. More of that later in the show. And coming up this weekend, the baddest man on the planet will be determined when Stipe Miocic, the greatest heavyweight champion in UFC history, takes on the scariest man in UFC history, potentially, Francis Ngannou, in a huge rematch at UFC 260. Sandu, how are you doing? I'm good, Simon. Winter is over here in Toronto. The sun is well and truly out. We are in double-digit figures when it comes to the temperature, starting to wear shorts. It's, it's happy days. And like you said, the UFC is back in business. There's events on weekly, even outside of the UFC. I know there was a big trilogy event with Cage Warriors this past weekend as well. And there's so much to talk about, so much to discuss and dissect and review and preview. Let's do it. Yeah, it's it's been it's been a busy week. I was on uh, MMA Junkie Duty for all three Cage Warrior shows. And honestly, they were just so much fun. If anybody out there has UFC Fight Pass and hasn't watched uh, the three Cage Warrior shows, Cage Warriors 120, 121, and 122, I urge you to do it. They're all about seven or eight fights per night. And uh, trust me, you're not going to be in for a particularly long sitting per event. There's a load of finishes, loads of fun and games, lots of controversy at points as well. So get in there. I won't necessarily spoil all the results for you, but get in there, check out Cage Warriors because they served up three outstanding events and it also tees up what's coming up further through the year. There are more trilogy events coming. They're even going stateside, I think, later this year. So there's all sorts going on with Cage Warriors. So please do check that out. Um, if you want to check out a report on what happened, check out MMA Junkie, where yours truly uh, covered all three events. You'll be able to get fully up to speed. But what we want to talk about on this show is the UFC event that we had this past weekend, what's happening uh, outside of the events in the UFC, and then UFC 260. So let's take a look at UFC on ESPN 21, or UFC Vegas 22 for hashtag fans out there Derek Brunson versus Kevin Holland now you and me Sandu we sat down before looked at this fight and I think we both picked Kevin Holland um and I think that I think the theory behind it was sound he was the yeah. man who seemed to be on the rise Brunson was on decent form but Holland seemed to be the guy with the momentum coming into this it looked like if he could get a win here he's almost in touching distance of a title shot and he goes in there and he, he <sighs> I don't know what went wrong, if I'm honest. He just went in there, and that was not the Kevin Holland that we've seen. It was, there was too much talking, not enough winning going on from, from him on fight night. Derek Brunson, all credit to him, did exactly what he needed to do, fought to a really smart game plan, punched his way into takedowns, got the fight to the mat, and won a landslide decision on the scorecards. 49-45, 49-46, and 49-46. It means Brunson has now halted the momentum of Ian Heinish. He's halted the momentum of Edmund Shabazian. And now he's halted the momentum of Kevin Holland. This man is a prospect killer in the UFC middleweight division. And I think he deserves a, a fair amount of respect for what he's doing. And probably more than we gave him, in all honesty, on last week's show. Did a great job. What did you make of Brunson's performance? And probably more more importantly, what did you make of Holland's performance? It was just bizarre. Well, look, clearly since Derek Brunson has dyed his hair blonde, you know, everything's changed, right, Simon? He's on this incredible win streak. Like you said, he's killing all these up-and-coming prospects and he's derailing all these hype trains. So keep that blonde hair going and I think everything should be hunky-dory for him moving forward. But yeah, like really solid performance. Pretty much as dominant as it gets with regards to what a scorecard looks like 49 45 49 46 and 49 46 was the official judges scorecards in favor of Derek Brunson I, and I agree Simon just given who he's fought all these up-and-comers given this win streak he's just coming off another main event win here give him someone big give him maybe a Paolo Costa you know Paolo Costa was removed 
from the Whitaker fight. And Kelvin Gastelum has jumped in there. So Paolo Costa is going to need a new dance partner soon. And I think Derek Brunson deserves someone that's, you know, above him in the rankings and, and to try and, you know, move in the, in the right direction versus, you know, fighting an opponent um, that's maybe perhaps trying to use you as a way to build off your name, you know, and add to their resume. But yeah, that aside, Simon, just an absolute shocker of a performance from Kevin Holland because I was, like yourself, expecting him to do the business on Saturday night. Now, now don't get me wrong, Simon. I love the fun and games. I love the showmanship. But at some point, you, I think a lot of people – and I don't, look, I, I think he takes his fights seriously. But the impression that we get when he does what he did on, on, on fight night was, are you taking this fight seriously? Because in between rounds – He's speaking to Khabib, who's behind a pexiglass sitting next to Dana White, asking him for advice when you should, you've got a minute, you've got 60 seconds. You should be speaking to your cornermen who know you better than anybody else and, and figuring out a game plan because every kind of round just felt like Groundhog Day. There was the one moment where he finally got Derek Brunson down towards the end of the fight, but by then it was too late anyway. Pretty much every round, you know, went the way as the previous round. Derek Brunson, like you said, punched his way in, was able to get a takedown, was able to hold Kevin Holland down, and you know, you know, remained active and won each round. Able to pace himself really well, so cardio wasn't an issue there. But man, what a what a really big missed opportunity this was, Simon, because. Main event slots don't grow on trees. He was coming off an incredible 2020 where a lot of people were considering him the fighter of the year. He had already planted some seeds with Israel Adesanya. He's obviously become a bit of a fan favorite with his antics, you know, both in and outside of the cage. And so it was all laid up there for him to, to get this signature win, get a statement win, and then you're really off to the races. And it just did not work out for Kevin Holland on Saturday night. Absolutely not. Uh, and on the flip side, Derek Brunson got in there, did the job, and perennially sort of underrated. But he's been he's been there or thereabouts in that middleweight division, occupying that sort of six to twelve mark in that, in sort of the rankings for forever. He seems to have been there forever. I mean, he's been in the UFC for a long time, almost a decade, I think, um, and he's been in that sort of upper echelon for probably the last four or five years without ever quite breaking through to the very, very top. But, um, yeah, dying the hair seems to have done the job for him. Ty Tyron Spong, uh, Dutch kickboxer, and uh, one of his teammates at Sanford MMA uh, actually congratulated him on Twitter and used the hashtag Simon Phoenix, which uh, any any demolition fan uh, – sorry, any any demolition man fans out there will uh, will understand the Simon Phoenix reference. But um, yeah, no, he did. He did a great job, did Derek Brunson. He called for a fight with Paolo Costa uh, in his post-fight interview. I think that would be great. I think Jared Cannonier would be a, a would be an interesting fight as well, as would a fight against the loser of the Darren Till Marvin Vittori fight. I think all three of those are viable options uh, for Derek Brunson moving forward. So hopefully, he gets one of those, gives him a chance to fight up the rankings rather than trying to protect his spot against some up-and-coming, charging prospect. Because uh, I think he deserves that now. Because he's turned back the charge of Heinish. He's turned back the charge of Shabazian, who was unbeaten at the time. And uh, he's just snapped Kevin Holland's win streak. So all credit to the former high school cheerleader, Mr. Sandu, Derek Brunson. It's about time someone made some made a song and dance about his, uh, his achievements, I think. So uh, well done to him. Looking forward to seeing what happens next. Max Griffin versus Song Kinan in the co-main event. First round knockout for, for Max Griffin. He's another one. You put him in the same box as uh, Derek Brunson, perhaps not, not enjoyed the, the ranking status that Brunson has had, but Max Griffin has been in and around this sport for yonks, and he's always a tough proposition, always a tough proposition. Um, and uh, he went in there against Song Kinan and did the business inside a, inside a round. Um, and uh, yeah, it was it was it was just a, it was just a big night for some of the underdogs on the card. Um, Montserrat Ruiz beating Cheyenne Bays that was an upset. Um, but the one I wanted to talk to you about, Sandu, Adrian Yanez, 
Um, Adrian Yanez looks like he's going to be a little bit special. Uh, Bantamweight, he's only two fights into the UFC. He won on the Contender Series inside a minute to get his contract. His debut was a first-round head kick knockout. His second fight Saturday night against former Combate Americas bantamweight champion Gustavo Lopez. KOs in with a beautiful, beautiful right hand 27 seconds into round three. And in the most talent-packed division in the UFC, we've got another really exciting potential contender on our hands, I think. Yeah, and he made a really nice, sensible, emotional, and impassioned call-out in his post-fight interview to try and get on the Houston card because he is – that's his background. He's from Houston, right? And so to be able to perform in front of fans, in front of you know his friends and family, that would be a huge – obviously moment for him especially with the sport now coming back and you know we can talk a little bit about that later on as well but yeah just another great prospect to look out for you know that bantamweight division is absolutely on fire and and i have to say i was a little bit bummed out that the the gregor gillespie uh versus brad riddell fight which was the original co-main event literally at the 11th hour but again simon we've been used to this for the last year now covid protocols kicked in again and unfortunately that got um, taken off the card. The, the Griffin Canan fight then got bumped up into the co-main event slot. But overall, you know, I think Yanez was like the big. Okay, you, you have to take you have to keep an eye on this guy, especially in his bantamweight division, because he's really you know up and running now in this uh, in, in his UFC career. But outside of him, overall, there were TKOs and KOs and finishes littered up and down this card and. For, for an event that only had 10 fights to its name, it really did deliver. It really did. And uh, I think the thing with Yanez, I think the biggest problem for Yanez is not putting a rocket ship on him. You know, don't don't strap the rocket boosters on him too early because that division is absolutely full of killers. You chuck him straight in, that might not be the best thing to do. Build him gradually up that division, uh, give him increasingly, increasingly tougher opponents. And if he keeps passing the test the way he has been so far, then we've got a potential contender on our hands. You mentioned all these amazing finishes that we had, and we had loads. I wanted to talk to you about one in particular, um, which came on the prelims. And uh, sometimes the prelim fights don't get the same shine. They don't get the same social media pickup. But this moment was one that, not just because of the finish, but because of how it came about. Grant Dawson versus Leonardo Santos. Now, Leonardo Santos, I remember covering Leonardo Santos at... But I think it was Bama Seven. I think he fought. Uh, he fought on Bama Seven or something, or Bama Six, years and years and years ago. And he was a bit of a prospect then. He was. He he'd gone some insane amount of fights without losing. He's some like, 10, 11 fights or something like that without actually getting beat. And he goes in there against Grant Dawson, and uh, he was actually ahead on the cards. Was Grant Dawson? But he didn't know that. And his coach James Krause certainly didn't know that. And uh, one of the great things about the UFC is we get the corner audio. We can watch the pep talk as the coach, even with the mask on, you can watch them giving, giving the, the, the fighter the pep talk and going into that third round, James Krause is already, I think a front runner for coach of the year, sat down Grant Dawson, gave him a good telling off at the start of the, at the start of his minute. And then basically told him, we don't know how this fight's being scored. You could be up two rounds. You could be down two rounds. We really do not know. I need you to go out there and finish this guy. And Grant Dawson goes out there, finishes him in the last second of the last round. And it was one of those perfect storm moments. BT put out the clip on social media, and I think it's been doing pretty well. I know at MMA Junkie, we did a story on it today. Um because things like that are just 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 little just little moments in time where fighter and coach just seem to hit the right note and they go out there and they get the result they want. It was a it, it, it was a great moment and the way it was shown on TV told the story perfectly. I loved it. It was great. Yeah, I mean James Krause is slowly becoming one of like I think the the most notorious coach in terms of just he's come out of nowhere really, hasn't he? I mean he's still an active fighter for the UFC. But yep. the work he's putting in behind the scenes and you know helping his gym, his team, and obviously we're we're seeing him on these broadcasts now. You know, he's involved, he's pretty much on site 
every UFC event. And when you see a moment like that where he tells his fighter exactly what he needs to hear, he, t- he gives him direct instructions, and then what, with seconds to spare, his, his fighter goes out and, and, and gets it done and does the business. And you, know, you see the, the jubilation with the, with the team celebrating after the fact. But yeah, I mean, talk about a buzzer beater. It doesn't get any better than that, man. No, it was awesome, and uh, you know that was a that was a huge a huge performance from from Grant Dawson. I think he's won all five of his fights in the UFC. He's on an eight fight win streak now, and uh, I know a lot of people at Glory MMA where he trains are very very high on his potential uh, to do something big in probably the marquee division in the UFC, the UFC lightweight division. So definitely. Along with Adrian Yanez at Bantamweight, keep your eye out for Grant Dawson at 155 pounds. He's making things happen. Leonardo Santos, as I say, he does not lose very often. And uh, Dawson did the business and got himself a big win. Uh, big wins for Montel Jackson, Bruno Silva. A great fight, first fight in the night. Bruno Silva, JP Bays. That was a lot of fun to watch. Um, but we've had some good stuff. Ty Tuivasa, how, how, much, how much social media pickup did his... Did he shoey do? And how'd you do a shoey with a sandal anyway? How does that work? Well, the thing is, is he didn't do the, the shoey during the UFC broadcast. Mm. It was on it was on the post show. So it, what's interesting about when I'm working for BT Sport is I'm obviously based here in Canada, right? And so, but I'm plugged into the BT Sport programming. And so tied to Yvasa, you know, obviously he wins the fight, but there isn't a fan there to to hand him a shoe or a beer right so that so that's not going to work so that moment in broadcast didn't happen after the fight's over there's a, a, a i think a post show produced by espn but we get it on tsn as well and on on right. saturday night megan olivi was the one that was doing these these post fight um i guess post fight interviews or post fight studio show interviews yeah and um that's when he did it. That's when he did the old, uh, the old shoey. So um, I think one of the lads, you know, uh, found it and put it out on social on the on the Sunday. But hey, listen, this is Bam Bam tied to Ivasa. You that that's part of the package. You know, that's what he does. He he made the shoey famous in mixed martial arts, and it's good fun. And more importantly, Simon, tied to Ivasa, who was on a bit of a skid uh, not yep. too long ago. You know, within the last what six months or so, he's got a, a knockout win over Stefan Struve and, and a TKO win now over Harry Hansucker this past weekend. And all of a sudden, you know, he's got some momentum again, got back to back wins. And people have to remember the guy for a heavyweight is still fairly young. He's only 28 years old and he's only fought 14 times. I mean, the guy had what nine wins in a row before he suffered his first defeat to, to Junior Dos Santos, a former UFC heavyweight champion. So I think there's still a, a, a high ceiling in terms of what he's capable of in the sport. Yeah, definitely. And I think the first time I saw a Shuey was uh, Daniel Ricciardo, uh, Australian Formula One driver, did it on the podium at the British Grand Prix, I think, uh, doing a Shuey out of his race shoe. But um, yeah, it's, uh, it's it's quite the thing to do if you're an Australian sportsman doing the business. But yeah, and 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 Tui Vass is one of those guys. He's he walked out to Shania Twain, still the one, right? You know, <laughs> you, you, right? like I love characters like this. Not because he walks out to Shania Twain, but the fact that he is a bit different. He goes out there. He's got a bit of personality to him, and uh, you know, we do sometimes see fighters who like to be the company man, and they're very buttoned up, and they do what they need to do. They say what they need to say. I'll fight whoever the UFC puts in front of me. Blah blah. blah understand that you want to be the company man that's fine but then you got people like title Ivasa. they're the people you want to watch because they'll give you a little extra you know they'll they'll this isn't just fighter a versus fighter b his name will matter because you you know you know he's the guy that does the shoey he, he's a guy who always seems to find himself in a tear up and uh yeah two stoppage wins in his last two fights snapping that three fight skid uh his ufc future is looking a little bit wobbly heading into the middle of last year. And uh, now he's got his momentum back and uh, good good news for him. So, uh, yeah, a big win for the big man from Australia, Taito Um I think that's probably pretty much what we have for 
UFC on ESPN 21 this weekend. Just to wrap up the bonuses, Max Griffin, Adrian Yanez, Grant Dawson, and uh, Bruno Silva, who I mentioned from the first fight of the night, they all got 50 grand performance of the night bonus. thing I like about this, Grant Dawson and Bruno Silva were both on the prelims. The prelim guys don't always get the bonus love, uh, but they did this weekend. So that was particularly good, good to see. Before we move on and talk about UFC 260, Sandu, uh, and obviously it's all about the heavyweight title fight, we have a lightweight title fight. Finally, the UFC has decided that, yes, Khabib is actually retired. They went and had the meal in, in Vegas. There was, a, there was a brief suggestion that maybe he might come back um, when Khabib posted a picture of himself and Lorenzo Fatita. Uh, and in the caption, he asked Dana to send, send me location. But I think he was just the location of the restaurant he was after, to be honest. They went and had the meal, and uh, now all, all business has been taken care of. Khabib is officially retired. The belt, I think, is now officially vacant, and we now know who is going to fight for that belt. Perhaps slightly surprising how, how, how it's all panned out. Charles Oliveira is going to take on Michael Chandler for the UFC lightweight title in the main event of UFC 262. Why isn't Dustin Poirier in this title fight, Sandu? Because... If we're talking purely, purely on a meritoc on a meritocratic basis, his his name should be the first one on the poster, shouldn't it? It should, but then we have the anomaly in mixed martial arts. We have something that is some it, it's it's beside the UFC gold. It, it's it's an opportunity to fight Conor McGregor. And unfortunately, or fortunately, however you look at a sport, that in its current state will always trump an opportunity to fight for UFC gold, unless he's actually involved in that fight as well. And so what Dustin Poirier has clearly done here, and look, that fight isn't final. We don't know if that's going to happen, if that's going to be booked and when it's going to take place, but it looks like all roads are heading in that direction. You can't blame him, you know? This sport... It, you have a short window, these fighters, and it, it's it's already quite limited with regards to how they can make their money and how much money they can make. So to get in on the pay-per-view, which I'm sure he's going to be in on now um, in this trilogy fight with Conor McGregor, more power to him. And the thing is, is I'm sure he's going to be feeling pretty confident in his ability to beat Conor again, having just done the business a couple of months ago. And after that, you can then fight for the title and fight the winner of Chandler versus Oliveira. Now, going back to that particular fight, I don't hate it, Simon. On the Oliveira side, he's absolutely earned it. What an incredible win streak he has put together. And yeah, he, he, he definitely deserves to have his you know, name in that bracket. Michael Chandler, okay, so he comes into the UFC. He's 1-0 in the UFC, but you've got to look at the bigger picture here. He's a former champion in Bellator. He's a veteran. He's been around the sport a very long time. He's fought the best of the best in Bellator and other organizations. And here he is now in the UFC and he does the business against a top 10 ranked opponent in Dan Hooker. But more importantly, it was the co-main event to the Poirier-McGregor card, a Poirier-McGregor fight. And that card had a lot of eyeballs on it. And it was the perfect performance. He cuts the promo after the fight. Now, if anyone didn't know who Michael Chandler was, they certainly do now, and so to put him in the mix, and he's gonna, you know, be good value. You know, he'll he'll promote the fight really, really well, and yeah, I think this is great. We have that book now. We can move forward with the UFC lightweight championship, and we can, you know, hopefully get a contender that's produced out of the Poirier McGregor fight. There's still other opportunities out there, you know, for Tony Ferguson, RDA, Justin Gaethje needs to fight Simon. How about Justin Gaethje, Nate Diaz? I'd love to see that fight happen. I want to see Nate Diaz back into the mix. I want to see someone that's a, a massive draw, um, you know, fight again and, and stay active and be be relevant. So, yeah, it just feels like all of a sudden the lightweight division, the UFC, is now all coming together and we're going to get some, um, you know, I guess clarification with regards to who the champion is and what fights we may get in the second half of 2021. Yeah, match make this division however you like, because every fight is going to be a banger. You know, and when I said I was surprised that Dustin Poirier wasn't in the title fight, it's not that the guys who are in it aren't deserving, because I think they absolutely are. You could perm... I think any of those three 
deserve to be in it. Poirier, Chandler, Oliveira. Gaethje is right there or thereabouts as well. Um, they're the guys who, who really deserve to be in the mix. Uh, McGregor is in the mix as well, but he's not in the mix based on form. He's in the mix based on pulling power. And he's he's putting all his chips on a, on getting a, a win over Dustin Poirier to win that trilogy. And that puts him right in there for a shot, potentially, at the UFC lightweight title. So whichever way this pans out, the lightweight division is going to be a hell of a lot of fun. Tony Ferguson is going to fight Benil Dariush on the same card at UFC 262. Some good fights on that card. I'm just looking at some of the confirmed fights. Edson Barboza is fighting Shane Burgos at 145 pounds. That'll be a banger. Jack Hermanson is going to fight Edmund Shabazian at 185 pounds. That's going to be a banger as well. So um, Alex Perez versus Matt Schnell at 125 pounds is an outstanding matchup as well. Caitlin Chikagian, Vivian Araujo, I think that's how you pronounce it, at women's flyweight. That will be decent. There's some big fights coming down the line just on that event. You've got McGregor versus Poirier, which that needs to be locked in. That'll be locked in next, I would imagine. Things are beginning to kick on. And the other good thing is, and I say good thing, I'll say that, I'll say that reservedly, UFC 200, sorry, UFC 260 this weekend at the Apex, behind closed doors, no fans, just the staff and a few media that have been in, in their regular bubble arrangement that they set up. 261 is going to happen at the Vice Star Memorial Arena in Jacksonville with 15,000 fans in attendance. UFC 262 is going to happen at Toyota Center in Houston, Texas with 15,000 fans. Capacity crowd in attendance. What is your what what was your reaction when you heard this? Because I'm kind of torn, right? And I'll just quickly explain why I'm torn on this. I'm really happy to see fans back. I'm really happy to see fans back. It means that we're gradually coming out of this thing, which is good. But and I know that Dana White has gone on record as saying that the UFC will be the first sport back, or the first sporting organization back. And I understand the kudos of doing that. I understand the kudos of doing that. But is he taking risks that he doesn't need to? Of all the sports that we've seen that have had to adapt to the pandemic and keep going, MMA, and particularly the UFC, has really led the way in terms of how to put these events on. Yeah, we lose, we lose the odd fight here and there, uh, particularly stateside. But the way they've gone about it has been nothing short of outstanding. And to then just basically abandon that and go from that straight into full capacity arena events again, I don't know how I feel about it. I'm happy that we're going to eventually see uh, events with crowds. We're going to get the roar of the crowd, the crowd reaction to everything. That's going to be great, and I'm looking forward to it. I, I am slightly reserved and wary about them being the first, first cab off the rank with this. If I was them... I'd want to hold back, see how the NBA in particular do this, because you're talking similar crowd sizes. How do the NHL deal with this? And maybe use what they're doing, fix the mistakes that they're making, and then improve on that and then go live. But how do you feel about this? Because as I say, I'm kind of I'm kind of playing both sides of the coin, if I'm being honest. Yeah, and we haven't actually spoken about COVID specifically in a while on the show, and rightly so. People don't want to listen to us. Everyone's talking about COVID all the time, all day long. But, you know, from my understanding, like the vaccination rollout in the UK has got off to an incredibly great start. Over here in my neck of the woods, Simon, we're about to hit our third wave. In Ontario, it's not been great. It hasn't been great. Um, and you know, the numbers are spiking up again. Um, you know, I haven't left the country in, in over a year now. I have no plans on leaving the country. If there's an opportunity to be on site, I'm probably going to pass on it, if I'm being honest with you. Uh, I'd rather just continue to work from home for the foreseeable future, at the very least until I can get my vaccinations and, and all the rest of it. And so when you when you look at this, yeah, I, I, in, a, in a way I'm happy, you know, for fans that have the right to go depending on where they live and if that's something that they choose to go and, and do is, is buy a ticket and go watch a, a UFC event more power to you it's more about I guess the fighters I mean the Florida Commission and the Texas Commission isn't exactly the gold standard 
when it comes to athletic commissions, because if they were, we'd be seeing a lot more events take place in those particular states. The gold standard has typically been Nevada, and that's where they've been obviously, you know, putting in place COVID-19 protocols with, with testing. And we've seen it with these with weigh-ins and, and fight weeks. You know, media members have been told if you want to attend our event and cover the event, you have to sign an NDA. You know, so everyone's it's all political, everyone's protecting themselves and and all the rest of it. I think the Fight Island events that we've had over the last year, those have been the best because everything was just so proper when it comes to testing and guidelines and coming into the country, quarantining the facilities and uh, to, to host that many people, both logistically, the fighters, the, the staff, the personnel, the teams, the camps, and all the rest of it. Are, is, is all that going to be available you know, in Jacksonville, is that was all of that going to be available in Houston? Are these commissions going to test? You know, we talk about it on a weekly basis. You know, Fire Island events pretty much all went through without a hitch, for the for the most part. But in Vegas, we just saw it this past weekend again, Simon, the co-main event at the eleventh hour. We just had news of Paolo Costa getting COVID. Uh, you know, when you're in an environment and it's fight week and you're in houston or you're you're in, in jacksonville florida right and there's going to be people walking around all it takes is one fighter to to get covid and pass it around could you imagine if usman versus masvidal gets cancelled because one of those two lads gets covid right or one of the other title fights you know falls out so it's tricky it's you know going to be challenging absolutely we have to prepare ourselves for the absolute worst case scenario because let's be honest, you know, there, there is going to be a fear of maybe, you know, fights, especially the big ones falling out. I just hope things go through without a hitch because let me tell you, it would be so awesome to see UFC events again with fans, especially from a broadcast perspective, because the fans do bring something powerful to the situation. And it feels like it's been so long since we've watched a UFC fight card, you know, with fans. You know, I, I wouldn't even mind the wooing, you know, a little bit. Just for all time. Let's, 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 let's <laughs> not get ahead of ourselves, Andy. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. But, no. but <laughs> you know, just like just have the fans back cheering, booing, you know, and getting involved um, in some of the some of the, the some of the fights. And, and I'm sure the fighters would love it too. I'm sure the fighters feed off of that energy as well. So, yeah, so a bold move by the UFC, no doubt about it. We all knew that Dana White and the UFC, they wanted to be first, and they're definitely amongst the first. Look, WrestleMania, Simon, we're only three weeks away. That's going to be a two-night event, and I believe 45,000 people in a stadium per night. Wow. So it's not just the UFC. Other sports, specifically in the U.S., they're, they're going for it. They're, they're, they're booking arenas, they're booking venues, they're booking stadiums, they're selling tickets, and it's a revenue stream for them. People want to get back to normalcy. Hopefully, this vaccination rollout that has started globally is expedited. Most importantly, I hope that the athletes and the people and the staff and everyone involved in putting on these events are kept safe, don't get COVID, and don't add to a, a situation that goes beyond the sport. Yeah, I think I think I think the phrase is uh, cautiously optimistic, isn't it? I think that's that's probably the the best way to describe it. It's going to be great to be at that point where we're watching pack houses and and full on events again, um, and moves are being made across the board, not just in sport. You know, concert gigs. I mean, I booked tickets for my daughter to go go and see McFly of all people um, at the O2 in November, um, and. At the time, I had no idea. I'm taking a bit of a punt, really, to see, you know. But the way things are going, I think that gig will probably go ahead. And it might be the first time I go to any kind of event with a crowd in it. That might be the first one uh, in November. So we just don't know how all this is going to pan out. And it's all going to be down to the vaccination and how everything is, is, is affected from that. And the protocols around the event. I think we still need the protocols, even with the crowd. I think we still like there needs to be a bubble that for for the fighters and the staff 
to get them through fight week, to get them to fight night. Um, and uh, But we'll see how all this pans out. We'll see how all this pans out. But positive news on the horizon. It seems like things are happening. All the big fights are beginning to beginning to come on stream. And uh, the events, they're looking to go big with those events. And speaking of going big, they don't get much bigger, Sandu, than the heavyweight championship of the world. Stipe Miocic, consensus greatest heavyweight in, in UFC history, possibly greatest MMA heavyweight uh, of all time as well, taking on Francis Ngannou, who is going to be a much different proposition, I think, second time round. He was very green, very raw when he took on Stipe Miocic first time. And Stipe uh, basically big-brothered him um, in the first fight. I'm not so sure that it's going to quite go that way second time round, but this is a huge fight. It's the fight we need at heavyweight. Um, how do you how do you see this one going? Is it going to be Anne still? Is it going to be Anne new? What's your what's your gut feeling heading into this? Listen, it's hard to pick against the greatest consensus UFC heavyweight of all time in Stipe Miocic. However, this run that Francis Ngannou has been on, you know, I feel like. And you know what? This might be a, a great moment in the show to just to uh, share with everybody that I'm going to be having my first written piece published in almost two years. I actually spoke and interviewed Francis Ngannou a few days ago for a story that's going to be published on the BBC, uh, which I'm very excited about. And having spoken to him, just he hearing from him, and being able to understand his mindset and what he's gone through, he openly admitted it, Simon. It was too soon the first time around, and he didn't. He hadn't gone five rounds before. He said that he basically blew his gas tank in the in the opening five minutes. I was there for that fight in Boston. I was there cage side for it, and that first round against Stipe is still to date the most exhilarating round of heavyweight MMA. I have ever witnessed. It was just incredible. Some of the shots that were being swung and landed. And and after that, the remainder of the fight, Stipe just controlled him, took him down. And, you know, Francis just had nothing more left to give. And things have changed, Simon. He's now been a, a, a Las Vegas resident coming up to four years. He's working with Eric Nixick and he's understanding MMA a lot better. And, and it's funny because he says that even though the last four fights he's had, this incredible win streak he's put on where no fight has gone beyond 71 seconds. Before, he was always looking for the knockout. He was looking for that big punch. He's a lot more composed now. He's not thinking about the knockout. And then the knockouts are presenting themselves instantly. So I feel like, you know, he's at the right mindset. He he knows what Stipe is like. He's been in there with Stipe once before. And something tells me that the Predator is going to get the job done and become the first African-born heavyweight champion in UFC history. It's going to be a fascinating matchup. I mean, even that first fight, it was the, what happens if he hits him? What happens if he lands clean on Stipe? Well, he did land clean on Stipe at points in that fight. Stipe took those shots like a champ and kept going. Um, I, I think Francis is a lot more powerful now. I think um, the way that he just demolished Josino Rosenstroke was absolutely terrifying to watch. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm fascinated by this. My respect for the champion has led me to pick Stipe to retain his belt. But that is not to say that I am counting out Francis Ngannou because when you're as, as powerful as that man is, it only takes one punch. And it doesn't matter whose chin it is. If he hits you clean and he hits you, hits you clean with the right shot, I don't care who you are. It's game over. And And when you've got that kind of fight changing punch power, you're always in the fight. And Stipe Miocic is the best all round heavyweight I've seen. He can do a bit of everything. He's got good boxing. He, he can, uh, he can take the fight down pretty much whenever he wants. He's got outstanding cardio for a heavyweight. Um, he's got all the tools to, to do to Francis Ngannou what he did to him first time round. The difference now is, Francis Ngannou, I think, has developed more as a fighter in 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 the time since that first fight than maybe Stipe has. I think Stipe has made incremental improvements and he's obviously a better fighter now than he was against Francis first time. But Ngannou, because he's younger in his career, just seems to have levelled up in a way that we haven't 
haven't really seen. So um, I'm fascinated by this one. It's one of those edge of the seat fights. It's almost, you know, sort of glue your eyelids open for that one. Because if you blink, you might just miss the crucial moment. It's going to be a hell of a fight. Let me chuck another question at you, Sandy. Yep. You're John Jones. You're Johnny Bones Jones. You're next in line for the belt. Who do you want to fight? Who do you want to win this fight? Well, I think you've got to be picking Stipe, right? I mean, if I'm John Jones, I don't want to lose a size advantage. And between Stipe and Francis, Francis is the bigger guy. I think he even cuts down to make the 265-pound weight limit. Whereas I think Stipe hovers around, and I could be wrong here, he hovers around 245, 250, something in, in that ballpark. And... Yeah, if I'm John Jones, I don't want to be in a situation where... And listen, not that Stipe Miocic doesn't have knockout power. Let me just put that out there right now, right? But I feel like John Jones can be a little bit more competitive with his speed, his agility, his his height, and his, his overall size with regards to his frame. He, that, he could be a lot more competitive with Stipe versus, say, a Francis Ngannou. So... Am I wrong? I mean, what do you think? I mean, if I, if I'm, I mean, if you're John Jones, who do you think you want to win that fight? Well, here's the thing: if I'm John Jones and I have the character that John Jones has, I'll beat both of them. That's 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 how I will be thinking, right? But I do think there is a preferred order to get this done in. Number, I think, I think you want to fight Stipe first, and the reason why you want to fight Stipe first is if Stipe beats Francis Ngannou. That just takes Stipe on another level in terms of his greatness as the best UFC heavyweight champion of all time, right? John Jones, greatest UFC light heavyweight champion of all time, pound for pound great. If he steps in and beats Stipe Miocic, who has just beaten Francis Ngannou again, then my goodness me, what does that say about John Jones as a heavyweight? You know what I mean? It's the perfect statement-making performance. Um, I also think stylistically, there's I think Stipe is a better matchup for John Jones. If you're John Jones, Stipe is not going to do anything out of the ordinary. Stipe, Stipe fights the way Stipe fights. And it's up to you to be better than him. Francis Ngannou will do some crazy shit and knock you out in a, in a, in a blink of an eye. And he doesn't even have to catch you clean half the time. Um, and John Jones hasn't tasted that heavyweight power yet. I'm not sure the first heavyweight punches he should be taking in the octagon should be from Francis Ngannou. I don't know whether that's a good idea. So, if I was John Jones, I think I'd be leaning towards Stipe first because let's be honest, Francis Ngannou is not going anywhere, right? So if you beat Stipe Miocic, he'll have to fight Francis Ngannou anyway because uh, Francis has torn through everybody else. So even if Francis loses to Stipe, there's a pretty solid bet that he'll either be next in line or one fight away from being next in line to face the winner of Stipe and John Jones. I think if Francis Ngannou beats Stipe, there's a reasonable chance that Stipe might hang the gloves up. Um, so, you know, I, I do think Stipe is not a million miles off retiring, but I don't think he'll retire if the John Jones fight's on the table. So, yeah, I think that's the order that he would probably prefer. Beat, beat a Stipe who is cemented as the heavyweight goat um, and uh, and then kick on from there. That would be the thing. And it's no guarantee that he beats Stipe Miocic, by the way, I think, you know. A good Stipe Miocic is, is is outstanding, so that I don't think is by any means a uh, foregone conclusion. But the heavyweight division is a lot of fun right now. All sorts is going on. We're talking about the title fight. We're not talking about fights that we wish we could see. These fights are happening, so I'm really pleased about it. One fight we aren't going to get, sadly, is the featherweight title fight between Brian Ortega and Alexander Volkanovsky. Uh, the champ, unfortunately. Has, uh, has caught the COVID and uh, he's he's out. That fight's going to be rebooked. Uh, so the new co-main event features a man looking to prove a point, Mr. Tyron Woodley, former welterweight champion, against a man who is one big win away from calling himself a legit contender, and that's Vicente Luque, who I know we're both pretty high on as a fighter. So what we're going to see, it, this is, is this Tyron Woodley's last go? Is this, is this his last chance to keep himself relevant? at the very sharp end of 170 pounds because ever since he got beat and lost his belt, he has looked a shadow of his former self. Yeah, I think it's um, win or go home, Simon. I think whether he retires, whether he is cut from the UFC, 
uh, decides that he wants to continue fighting and it's that happens elsewhere. Three losses in a row. Kamaru Usman, Gilbert Burns, Colby Covington. Three of the best guys in the division. Got the current champion and two former title contenders. And uh, man, you know, it's uh, it's going to be a tough fight for him because like you said, Vicente Luque, you know, he's, he's on, a, on a bit of a, a win streak right now. The only loss on his record from the, the last five years five or four or five years is a decision to Stephen Thompson. <laughs> like, yeah, and Stephen Thompson is, is a tough cookie to prepare for stylistically, right? He's won all of his other fights. And I think he's been looking for a step up and a former champion and a big name like Kyle Woodley definitely fits the bill there. So looking forward to that. I'm glad that, that this fight was available um, and they kind of shimmied things around and shift that into the main uh, co-main event. And I'm just glad that this fight and this event had two title fights because again we're just talking about it so i'm in covid the news with regards to the brian ortega alexander volkanovsky fight being postponed broke during the broadcast on saturday night and so it's tough for volkanovsky because you get covid and you have to go all the way back to oz and then you've got to quarantine for two weeks and then you've got to get back into you know you know shape again and prepare put a fight camp together fly all the way back to the u.s and Super, super unfortunate because I was really looking forward to that fight as well. So hopefully they can get that booked, you know, as soon as possible. But let's just pray this week pans out good. Let's pray that the heavyweight title fight remains intact because I feel like a lot of people are interested in this fight. I feel like this event's going to do fairly well with regards to traffic and and eyeballs. And I think it's going to get, you know, a lot of attention. Um, But yeah, outside of the title fight, when you look at that main card, Simon, not only is this a big fight for Tyron Woodley, just given his um, you know, losing streak and the skid that he's been on, it's the return of Sugar Sean O'Malley. I mean, he he lost to Marlon Vera, and I mean the knives were out on social media for Sugar Sean. And a lot of that he he did bring on himself, but he's someone that, you know, has been highly touted. A lot of people have been high on not just for his ability inside the cage, but just everything else that he brings to the table. He knows how to promote himself. He knows how to market himself really, really well. He's built up a really big social media following. Um, he's a bit of a content creator outside of what he does, um, you know, when he's fighting for the UFC. So I'm curious to see how he, he'll do against Thomas Almeida. I think, you know, this is a good fight for, Sugar, uh, for Sean O'Malley. Well, Almeida's coming off of three losses. He's lost four out of his last five. So this is very much a, a you know a, a warm up bounce back. Let's see if you can deliver the goods once again and remind people what you're capable of. So this is really a, a tee up for Sugar Sean O'Malley to put on the quote unquote Sugar Show this weekend as well. Yeah, and Thomas Almeida is one of these guys who he's got name value because he was he was the next big thing a few years back. I remember being at UFC 189 where he knocked out Brad Pickett in spectacular fashion in a great fight. I think Brad knocked him down. I think uh, he then knocked Brad down and then he, he finished him, finished him with a flying knee knockout. It was incredible, incredible finish. And he was touted as being, you know, this guy could be the next big thing. And it hasn't gone his way. As you say, he's lost four of his last five. Um, But now he's in there with Sugar Sean O'Malley, who, you know, I I think there were, there were issues with an injury during that fight against Marlon Vera. You know, I'm not, I, I think a fully fit Sugar Sean O'Malley beats Marlon Vera. Um, and he's beaten he's beaten a lot of good guys on his way up. And I think that he has he has the tools to be a serious contender. If he beats if he beats um well, I think he needs to finish Thomas Almeida. If he finishes Thomas Almeida, all that hype that suddenly stopped with the Marlon Vera fight, we're gonna get that back. We're gonna get that back. And you know what? I wouldn't be I wouldn't be averse to booking a rematch. I wouldn't be averse to booking a rematch in the summer. I think that would be a, a solid idea. Um, and uh, let's see if the Sugar Show can get it done second time round. But yeah, O'Malley, super, super slick boxing. I love watching him. Love watching him strike. Uh, he's a great character as well. I remember uh, we saw him. He was competing for the UFC team at Quintet Ultra in, in Vegas. They, there, was a, there was a WEC team. There was a Pride team. There was a strike force team and there was a UFC team. And Sean O'Malley was in there 
he not that long ago had knee surgery. I think he just got back from knee surgery and there he is. He's in there doing submission grappling with like Jake Shields and people like this. He was great. And uh, he, he, he was a lot of fun to be around. So uh, I'm looking forward to seeing him back in the mix again. Uh, first fight on that main card as well. Don't sleep on that. Karma Worthy versus Jamie Malarkey. That will be a banger for as long as that one lasts. That'll be, that'll be a lot of fun. Just looking at the prelims, there's some interesting stuff going on on the prelims. Alonzo Menafield versus William Knight. Two big, strong, powerful, muscular, light heavyweights are going to go toe-to-toe. That will be a really interesting one to watch in the feature prelim. But we're seeing the return, Sandu, of former strawweight title challenger Jessica Penne, who hasn't fought since 2017 and is coming off a three-fight skid from back then. She's taking on Hannah Goldie, who is a, con- a Contender Series alum. Um, I'm fascinated to see how Jessica Penne looks on her, on her return to the octagon. She challenged for, for fans who remember Jessica, don't, don't remember Jessica Penne. She fought, she challenged Joanny and Jacek for the strawweight title. I think it was in Berlin, Germany, because we were there, Sandu. I think we were running around Berlin, getting people to record dub smash videos, if I remember rightly, uh, on a, on a, on a, on a pretty fun night, uh, in Berlin. Um, but yeah, Jessica Penne, got absolutely destroyed by uh, Ioanni and Jacek. And I don't think she's won a fight since. Um, so it's, uh, it's, 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 been, it's been a tough period for her. Uh, yeah, she lost to Ioanni and Jacek in 2015, lost by TKO to Jessica Andrade at UFC 199, another fight I was at. And uh, then she lost a unanimous decision to Daniel Taylor back in 2017. And uh, I think there's been issues with USADA, that she's been fighting a case with USADA. Uh, now she's back, taking on Hannah Goldie. That could be one of the interesting side stories on Fight Night. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, man, Jessica Penny, 38 years old, three-fight losing streak, hasn't competed in the octagon since April of 2017. And I think this is a, a classic case of the old get fed to the young, you know, Jessica Penne isn't anywhere near, you know, the top of the division, isn't going to be fighting for a title fight. Let's put her in there against someone that can build off a name and things of that nature. And and who knows, man, maybe Jessica Penny still has something to prove. I don't know how many fights she has left in her contract. I know she was really salty about how everything played out with regards to just the suspension and just, you know, dealing with Yasada. And, you know, I feel like especially – in the the first few years of the USADA program, I think USADA have been trying to figure things out, and the UFC have been trying to figure things out with regards to what you test, what you test, for, you know, what you test for, um, what comes back positive, what that means, what is the you know an, an appropriate punishment to dish out, and all that kind of stuff, right? And and I think long term, it, it'll it's gonna it's gonna be great, it's gonna be good, it's gonna be healthy for the sport. It's just unfortunate, you know, there's been a a number of fighters who perhaps just because of, you know, being involved in in the early part of this program, maybe got the, the, you know, got shafted uh, for for lack of a better word. And, you know, that's not for us to say or to judge, right? Because it's done now. She's she's served her punishment. She's been suspended. She's back now. And um, I tell you what, it would be a pretty feel good story and a pretty feel-good moment if Jessica Penne gets a victory um, on, on Saturday night. So, yeah, a, a, a good and interesting story to pay attention to on those prelims. Yeah, and if you've got a UFC Fight Pass subscription, two fights to absolutely, definitely check out. Gillian Robertson versus Miranda Maverick will be a really good fight at women's flyweight. Robertson, uh, I think, now holds the UFC record for submissions for a female fighter. I think she broke Ronda Rousey's record or equaled it last time out. She's taking on Miranda Maverick, who really strong all around fighter. Uh, Maverick could well be a contender if she gets past Julian Robertson. Likewise, Robertson gets a win against someone like Maverick. She's right in the mix as well. So that's a good one. But the one I wanted to finish on Sandu, uh, Lithuanian born British bred Modestus Bukowskis, the Baltic gladiator is, uh, is back. He's taking on, Poland's Mikhail Alexichuk um, in a fight that 
it's just going to be a stand up, a stand up war. Alexa Chuk, very loose, loose boxing, um, but very, very powerful. Modestus Bukowski's got outstanding kickboxing. He's going to look to bounce back. He got he got finished in the first round by Jimmy Croup last time out, but that snapped a seven fight win streak that included him winning the Cage Warriors light heavyweight championship. So he's going to look to bounce back in what is his third fight in the UFC. Uh, see if he can go two and one in the promotion. Um, he's he's kind of an adopted Brit as far as I'm concerned. You know, he's come he's, he lives in the UK, trains in the UK. Lithuanian family, uh, born in Lithuania, but uh, we're we're kind of adopting him here on the Brit Pack as our as our lone British representative on Fight Night on Saturday night. Yeah, and I think it will be on Fight Pass. I'm just looking at the the old Wikipedia page, and um, I think if you've got Fight Pass, I don't think that fight is going to be a part of the BT Sport broadcast. I could be wrong. Um, and obviously, with the way the the week plays out, fights could get moved around, you know, you know, very easily. So we'll see how see how that happens. But I think the good thing is, is if you've got Fight Pass, you'll definitely be able to watch it, and it will be at a good hour. So hopefully, all of his friends back home, um, you know, safely can get together with a, with a few drinks and and watch him fight and watch him compete. But um, but yeah, I think you know he's someone to look out for. Obviously, <clears throat> from a British perspective, I'm looking forward to seeing. Um, the very first fight on, of, of the card, Simon. Um, Mark Andre Barriot versus Abu Azaita. Abu Azaita right now has been um, with everybody else uh, in the uh, in the Vegas squad. I saw him sit down with Sean Shelby and and Khabib and and all those guys with regards to just you know I guess schmoozing you know during fight week. But here's someone that is on an incredible run incredible win streak and um obviously <laughs> had his fight with yakim buckley cancelled um last year and so he's gonna try to open his 2021 account and he's someone i think everyone should be excited about but i'm looking forward to seeing what he produces on saturday night that's that's definitely a fight i'm uh, I'm, I'm paying attention to for sure yeah he's undefeated in his last 10. he's got 9-0-1 in his last 10. And uh, he—he's—I uh, know—I know they're pretty excited about him uh, over in in Germany. So it'd be interesting to see how he gets on. First fight of the night again, European fighter on uh, on Fight Pass. Just talk about Fight Pass. Just look at the way this card is currently made up. There's only three fights on that sort of TV prelim card. So I wouldn't be at all surprised if they just bump two of those other fights up onto the televised prelims. The Bukowskis fight and the Robertson fight would be the two prime candidates for that. Um, and uh, just to keep the balance of the card working the way the UFC normally like to do it. So keep your eye on the on the TV listings. If you've got Fight Pass, well, go to UFC.com. They'll they'll keep you up to speed. Uh, and obviously, uh, you'll, you'll, you'll be fully aware of where you can check these fights out. Um, if it's on the, the TV prelims, happy days. It'll be on, on BT Sport on Saturday night. Um, the only other fight that we haven't had confirmed, Luana Pinheiro, who a superb judoka from Brazil. She uh, was supposed to be fighting random Marcos this weekend. Marcos has got COVID announced that yesterday or day before. Um, so she's out, but I think they're still trying to find an opponent for Pinheiro. So they might, they might just about manage to squeeze her onto the card, but we will see, but should be a good fight card. UFC 216. Uh, that'll be the usual start times. I would imagine because it'd be in Vegas. So that'll be like at 11.30 for UFC Fight Pass prelims, 1 a.m. for the TV prelims on BT Sport, 3 a.m. for the main card on BT Sport. So uh, that is pretty much that for UFC 260. And, of course, we'll unpack that uh, in detail on next week's show. And that, Sandu, I think is pretty much all we've got time for. Yep. And for those of you that are watching on youtube thank you for those of you listening to us on spotify and apple jump on youtube we are on youtube obviously only an audio version of the show for the time being but it's going to be a video show very very soon and we would love to have all of your support by going to our youtube channel and hitting that subscribe button that would be the that would mean the world to us but yeah like i said we're available on apple podcast rate and review us if you're able to um, over there we're available on spotify you can always go to the britpack.substack.com if you want to get involved there and then, of course the britpackmma.com that's the website and from there 
you can find where the, the shows are you can find us on social media we are the brit pack mma on twitter simon is at simon head on twitter and at simon head sport on instagram and facebook and yours truly i am at sandu mma on facebook instagram and twitter awesome stuff that was the latest episode of the brit pack and uh we've got some big stuff coming your way going to be going video very soon the big fights are coming crowds are coming back it is a good time to be an mma fan have a good rest of the week enjoy the fights this weekend feel free to hit us up on social media over the course of the week and uh, we will chat to you again in a week's time